The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. This is a message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. If you are at higher risk, you should stay home as much as possible and avoid close contact with people who are sick to protect yourself. Call your doctor if you have concerns about COVID-19 and your medical condition or if you get sick. For more information, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. Last hour, we were talking about storytelling. We're going to talk about a different kind of story this hour, where the identity of Al Capone's boss is unearthed when a young man stumbles upon a uh, well-kept family secret as told in Joe Torrance's The Poison of Money. And Joe Torrance joins me now by phone. Joe, welcome to the show. Hello? Joe, are you there? Or did I lose you? Hmm, for some reason I don't be able to, I'm not able to hear Joe. We were we were connected. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we uh I'll drop in a little Christmas music and try and reestablish uh with Joe and uh, see if we can get things to come through better. Um, anyway, uh, this is this is a, a song I just came across. This may be the first time that uh, it's been played anywhere on the air. I'm not sure, but it comes from uh, Kevin B. Klein. It's called "Christmas Time in Our Universe," and as I, well, wait a minute, this might be Joe. Yeah, but it didn't come through. Uh, anyway. Um, Kevin B. Klein, and as I always say, our Christmas music is better than everybody else's because it's local.
Hey, welcome back. We're uh, reconnected now with uh, Joe Torrance. Um, let me get the music to stop. We'll hear the rest of that uh, at another time. Music from Kevin B. Klein. Of course, our Christmas music is better than everybody else's because it's local. Um, joining me now by phone, the author of The Poison of Money, Joe Torrance. Joe, can we hear you now? Yes, I can hear you uh, very well. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me on your show. And you're coming through loud and clear. I don't know what happened before, but uh, uh, apparently somebody was trying to prevent us from hooking up, as happens in the story. <laughs> um, I, I was I was reading about uh, about this book, and um, of course, everybody knows who Al Capone is, but not everybody knows who. Um, Johnny Torrio is, and correct. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Al Capone was really stole the you know the spotlight, and I think it was by design because Torrio decided to live his entire life in the shadows. But some uh, Tom would arguably say that uh, Johnny Torrio was perhaps one of the most powerful men of the 20th century, and, and that's a pretty big statement. And typically. Power comes with money, and uh, Torrio, his estimated worth was $5 billion, which some might say that's not the richest man in the world, but this was back in the 20s when people were earning $50 a week. Um, and so uh, he had a lot of similarities to you know, the life of the, the Godfather uh, in the movie. Um, you know, he was um, uh, very powerful during the Prohibition time, uh, made most of his money through, uh, you know, alcohol, uh, gambling, and uh, and prostitution. And uh, the Chicago Crime Commission regarded him as as a mastermind, and they said that he was probably one of the greatest organizational geniuses that the country had ever seen. And so, um, although Capone was was out front, uh, Torrio was basically a ghost who created a, a complete secret society. Well, and and Al Capone, I think most people remember Al Capone as as being kind of a showman. Yes, uh, you know, and and I think in that life, uh, you know, there's a d very dangerous part of that is you know being in the public eye, and I think Torrio, uh, being a, I think very you know astute and and smart, um, you know, decided to stay very much in the background, and you know even. Even after he was um, shot, uh, returning from grocery shopping, similar to the scene in The Godfather, um, you know Al Capone was the guy that was standing on guard uh, at the hospital for him, and uh, most people thought that that's when he retired. But in fact, you know he had turned over the reins temporarily to Capone and then took back control of the organization. So was was involved in um, you know in in the Cosa Nostra for for many many years. And he's one of the few that uh, actually passed away of natural causes. Uh, he uh, died of a heart attack at 75 years old in a in a barber's chair. And uh, in that in that life, it's a it's quite a rarity to die of natural causes, to say the least. Well, and in those days, in particular, um, I was I was reading that this is based on a true story. Um, does that does that make it then historical fiction? Well, you know, the, the thing was is that this was a debate when we were writing the book, you know, are, is this a, a memoir or are we going to turn this into a novel? 
And um, you know, most of the most of the the book is actually very factual. Um, what happened was when I was uh, you know a, a young teenager, um, we had gathered together to watch the movie The Godfather. And uh, you know, as many Americans and I guess millions of Americans and Canadians, I was completely fascinated with that movie. I thought that you know, how does this immigrant come to the U.S. and have all of this power and and money and uh, I was really intrigued by the whole story of the Godfather and then a few years later uh, my father who was uh, you know really brilliant man he was a, a very avid reader and he said to me one day he said Joe he says uh, you know I've got a book in my night table drawer would you mind going to get the book for me and I said sure dad and so I went over to the night table and opened the drawer, and there was a, a newspaper article that was wedged way at the bottom of the drawer. And for some reason, I pulled it out, and it said, um, the mafia at war. And uh, I started scanning the article, and there was this guy, Johnny Torrio, who was shot returning from grocery shopping, and he sounded like the godfather. And so I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, what are you doing with this newspaper article in your night table drawer and he kind of like stopped and was frozen and my mom says well you know he's, he's a teenager now you can tell him and so my father said look um, we, we keep this within the family walls I don't want it getting out there that we're in any way related but Johnny Torrio is my uncle so my grandmother is Johnny Torrio's uh, blood sister and Marietta Torrio um, and two complete opposite siblings. Uh, Marietta was a very, um, you know, good person, a person of integrity, no involvement at all with any, you know, type of, of criminal activity. And obviously, her brother was at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And this, I, I, I can't help asking this, Joe. Is is it a coincidence that there's a similarity between the last name Torrio and Torrance? Well, here here's the uh, here's the <laughs> truth of the matter, Tom. So when I was uh, when I was you know kind of trying to get information about Torrio, and my father was very he had stonewalled me. He didn't want me to you know he didn't want to talk about it. It was something that was completely off base. And when I had gone downstairs, he says, "Oh, but by the way, he says those golf clubs that you have in the basement." He goes, "Those belong to my uncle. Those were Johnny Torrio's golf clubs." And so um, when I went down, I, I was flipping through the, the, the golf bag, and I found a golf ball in there, and it said John Torrance. And, I, and I, uh, I said to my dad, I said, Dad, but you said that your uncle was Johnny Torrio. These golf clubs belong to a guy by the name of John Torrance. And, I, and uh, he said, well, Joe, he says, you know what, he, he operated under various aliases, and, uh, and John Torrance was one of them. So... Uh, you know, I've tried to keep the respect of our family and, and intact and decided not to put out our family name, and so we use the name Joe Torrance to, uh, to write the book. Aha. Okay, then. Um, when you... How did you end up deciding to write this as a book? You know, that's, it, it's a great question, uh, Tom, it, it, and it was a big struggle because... You know, obviously, um, you know, everybody worries about some kind of pushback from this. Um, and I guess part of it is that, you know, my father stood for honesty and integrity. I mean, uh, that was, 
the Marietta side of the of the family. Um, so that that part of it made it a lot easier. I just felt that there was a fascinating family story to tell, um, and I thought that there was some amazing life lessons to learn from the poisonous side of money and this family journey that my father's it was actually my father's sister that took me down the path of she was a storyteller and it was almost like a virtual reality tour spanning decades and going into their time in in southern Italy um, in in Milan in Cuba New York Chicago and um, I, I don't think I would have written this book you know 30 or 40 years ago um, my dad probably would not have wanted that at that time but Prohibition 2020 is the hundredth anniversary of Prohibition. I felt that enough time had passed that you know we distanced ourselves from this, and um, I thought that there was a fascinating story, and I think there's some tremendous life lessons that can really be positive, and um, and that's why I decided to put to, put together the book. It's funny you say that. I I had just. Uh just come across a book called Relentless, which is a couple of uh, academics that are literally studying the business practice of mobsters um, for what can be learned in terms of just uh, organizational management and uh, structure and, and, uh, and so on. Um, and so I, I think you're right. There are lessons to be learned from studying some of these people. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, Torio, uh, you know, there's obviously, a, 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 you know, a criminality side where, you know, people in organized crime, one of the, you know, common denominators is that, you know, a lot of them just don't want to work. So they're looking to make an easy dollar and, and whatever way that they can and, and it can be very, you know, hurtful to certain people. But, you know, there was another, there's a side to Torio that was a very astute businessman. Um, you know, he was a guy that didn't carry a gun. Um, hey, was, Joe, you know, I think... Joe, yes. I hate to interrupt you, but I, I need to put a comma there. I have to go to a break. Can you stick around for a few minutes and we'll talk some more? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. The book is called The Poison of Money by Joe Torrance. Am, am I now pronouncing it correctly? Yes, correct. Okay. We're going to take a short break and uh, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well, and we'll be back with more. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Oh, you better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, oh, Santa Claus is coming, bringing joy to John, he's making a list, checking it, 
Twice gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Oh, Santa Claus is coming. Comes to town. He's coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out, better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why. Oh, Santa Claus is coming to town, he's coming to town. The kids and girl and boy land will have a jubilee. Gonna make a toy land all around the Christmas tree. Oh, you better watch out, better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why. Oh, Santa Claus is coming, hear those sleigh bells coming, Santa Claus is coming. You better watch out, that jolly thing is on his way to The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.
The Tom Sumner Program takes a look back at 2020, Monday and Tuesday, December 28th and 9th, with a two-part special called 2020 Highlights, Not Just COVID. Here, special guests provide commentary and analysis about the Mueller report, impeachment, the State of the Union, State of the State, virtual political conventions and debates, plus civil unrest, and Sheriff Chris Swanson's response to local demonstrations, and a whole lot more. Listen December 28th and 9th because there was more to 2020 than COVID-19. Stream the show from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, repeating online all day and night. Or tune in on 92.1 FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. both nights. That's 2020 highlights, not just COVID, December 28th and 9th on the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with uh, the author of a uh, book called The Poison of Money, Joe Torrance. Joe, welcome back. Thank you, uh, Tom. Um, Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, um, how the the book was, well, I don't want to say autobiographical, but uh, but it, it... it is it does have uh, some memoir qualities to it because it's a true story based on on something that actually happened to you you discovered that uh, a relative of yours was uh, al capone's boss correct and and uh, tom just before the break you were mentioning you know about the analogies of of you know organized crime uh, with you know various uh, you know corporate America and and when you think of some of the similarities, obviously you know we we condone the the, the criminality side, but it's it's interesting to see how they operate and and how they uh, you know amassed this incredible amount of wealth and it started really with you know the product and when you think about you know the products that Torio brought to the to the to the masses, they were some of the products were products that people denounced in public, but really wanted in in private. And and one of them being alcohol. So during the time of prohibition, Torio supplied uh, you know alcohol. Um, you know, gambling uh, was another. And and well, there had to be a market for it, right? Absolutely. And when you look at Las Vegas today, where you know, gambling is legal and, you know, alcohol is legal today. Um, so it started with these, this, these products. And then Torrio, who, as I was mentioning, never carried a gun, was a relatively peaceful guy. He held, you know, meetings in Atlantic City where he brought all the, the bosses of the various families and divided up territories. And, and so that instead of, you know, trying to kill each other, they said, look, there's enough money to go around. Here's how we should work. And so, it was almost like a strategic plan that he had put together. And, you know, and I always remember my dad saying, you know, the mafia is everywhere where there's money. And, and sports was the same thing. And obviously, they, you know, there was uh, criminality, though, on, on that side where, you know, baseball games were fixed, boxing matches, where Torrio was also, you know, a prize fight manager. But, you know, the mafia is definitely very present where there's, where there's big money, uh, that's where they're going to be. And, and, a, and a lot of their business practices are sometimes can be compared to some of the strategic practices of, uh, you know, of, of corporations. And, and certainly there were, um, 
as, as you say, mobsters wherever there was money. But uh, how did Chicago become so well known as as sort of uh, I don't know mob central? You know, well, I, I guess that you know the obviously the the name Al Capone is is what became uh, synonymous with uh, the Cosa Nostra and, and the mafia uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, he was uh, you know extremely violent, and and uh, Torrio's base was Chicago, and uh, you know Capone was uh, in trouble in New York, and Torrio. Uh, brought him to Chicago and took him under his wing, and I guess uh, Chicago then became the hub because I guess of both Torrio and and Capone. And you mentioned in the last segment that that there was talk when you were putting this book together about some possible pushback. And whenever a book is is written, especially about somebody who typically kept a, a low profile the way Johnny Torrio did. Um, that that there might be some repercussions, but has it just been long enough that the principal characters have all passed and, and it's not really of that much interest, uh, um, at least from a retaliation standpoint now? Well, well, I think that, you know, the, the, the book is not your typical mafia book. Um, so that there's no... Uh, disclosures in this book about, you know, inside secrets about the mafia. The, the book centers more around the poisonous side of money, how it's infiltrated into the veins of society, how it affected the personal, and it's more into the personal life of the Torios, both Johnny Torrio and his, his blood sister, my, my grandmother, uh, Marietta. And so the, the only, you know, pushback or, or, or concern was, you know, guilt by association is that somebody sees your name, and you know, I I've spent my whole life and my whole career uh, trying to ensure the highest level of integrity and and being a, a well-respected business person, and you don't want to be you know have guilt by association, and and this was one of the concerns of you know one of my family members, uh, and uh, but I think after you know them reading the book, and I've got some friends who are in law enforcement who have read the book and said, look. Joe, this is really a story, a, a family journey, uh, great life lessons. It's about power. It's about greed. And it's all bundled into this history lesson as well and providing some backgrounds on a, a, a very uh, a person who remained in, in the shadows and who is, you know, extremely interesting, I guess, from the, you know, the aspect of the being the, you know, the Godfather film and so on. So, um I was less concerned about it, and I guess to your point as well, Tom, like a hundred years have gone by, um, and, and so I, I, I'm not really concerned about that, but I, I guess the, the timing is okay for me now, and I guess af after having people read the book, it's, it's really not your typical mafia tale. You haven't lost any business. I haven't lost any business. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's good, Joe. Um, how how surprised were you to find this out, or um, is is there a mafia skeleton in a lot of uh, Italian American families? I, look, I was completely shocked. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it was it was a complete shock to me. I mean, I, to have 
you know, your great uncle be the godfather. You could imagine I'm a teenager and I find this out and I come from a very, you know, middle class, typical Italian family and it would have been the furthest thing from my mind and uh, I can tell you it was, it was complete shock and, and I guess I, I just had a thirst for information and I spent hours and hours with my father's older sister who was a terrific storyteller and I guess, you know, kids at, at my age or at that time, they didn't really want to hear about family history. And, and I was very into sports and, and, you know, but on my way to, you know, to going out to the park to play baseball or basketball or tennis or whatever, I would stop over at, uh, at my ancestors. And I, I could just sit there for hours listening to the family stories. And, um, but it, it was a definite shock. And I, you know, it was part of me wanted to go out and tell all my friends that, hey, you know, my great uncle was, was the godfather. But um, <laughs> I, 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 was, uh, I was a bit wiser, and, and my dad made me understand that, that you know, it, it should be something that be kept within the family. But like I said, and so much time has passed. I, I sometimes joke that, you know, I could be related to Julius Caesar. I mean, that's the equivalent. The Torio, it's 100 years ago. It's, it's uh, enough time has passed that I wasn't too concerned. Um, what kind of stories um, would she tell you? So it, it really started with, you know, understanding the, the poisonous side of money and how it affected the family. And, and it brought us into discussions of, you know, about money and its poisonous side. And you have to understand that I'm a teenager who was totally enthralled with the American dream. I mean, I used to think that John F. Kennedy was the greatest guy on earth and, and, uh, and the American dream is that you work hard, you make money, and with money you can buy a fabulous lifestyle, cars, homes, vacations. And I could never wrap my head around the fact that money can have this poisonous side. And so the poison of money really hit home within the Torrio family because there was a, a struggle uh, to reunite. And, and so Johnny Torrio, and part of this book, is him trying to reunite with his sister Marietta, who they were separated at a very young age. Uh, Johnny Torrio and Marietta Torrio's father passed away when uh, Johnny Torrio was two years old and Marietta was four. And the mother took Johnny Torrio and brought him to New York, and Marietta was left behind with... Uh, with her grandmother, and later on, uh, Johnny Torrio was trying to bring Marietta into the United States, and someone was blocking this reunion, and the, the whole story unfolds in understanding the poisonous side of money and why that reunion wasn't taking place, and then there's these terrible tragedies that started hitting the family, uh, and and it was almost like there was a curse that was coming onto them, and uh, and it, it, it were transported into, you know, the mansion that they had in Milan and then in Cuba uh, back in the, in the 30s. Um, my father and his sister and Marietta lived in Cuba at the time of Batista. And, you know, we all hear about Meyer Lansky in, in Cuba, but, you know, Torrio had a finger in Cuba even before Lansky w w was there. And so his, his reach internationally is, is a bit mind-boggling. And so these are the stories that my, um, my aunt would tell me about the family and their travels and, and, and how 
some of these tragedies that had struck the family, and for her it centered around this poisonous side of money. How did um, immigration play into the decisions that that some of these guys uh, made? You know, Tom, that's, uh, I think that's a, a really the heart of, of, the, uh, of the book as well, is understanding um, immigration and the American dream. And, and so, you know, we mentioned that the American dream is about hard work and, and earning money uh, from that hard work. But the reality was, is that it almost became a lottery for certain immigrants. And some of the immigrants weren't even allowed a ticket to the lottery. And I think that this is what created a, a huge strain. Uh, you know, my, my father, um, he told me this unbelievable story. When he had, was in Canada uh, back in the 30s, um, he had some Jewish friends, and they went to the beach. And on the beach in, in, you know, in, uh, in Montreal, there was a sign that said, no dogs and no Jews. Now, this is Canada. It, it's, to me, that story was incredible, but it gives you an indication, you know, that there were newspapers that called, you know, uh, the, uh, the Italians a uh, herd of steerage uh, uh, swine, and some of the Italians were even lynched, and it, it's, it's an incredible um, story to understand the plight of the immigrants. And, you know, someone once said, uh, the one thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And I guess the purpose of the poison of money is to hopefully undo that a little bit and understand, um, you know, how these people got into these, these forms of life because of the fact that maybe there was some discrimination. But all in all, you know, my father's message was always, I'd rather starve than go down the wrong path. And so... Uh, for him, there was no compromise. There wasn't any justification uh, for immigrants to go down, uh, you know, a dark path. Um, this is as much an American history as it is a family history, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and it takes us into understanding, you know, and, and we go back to the, you know, to the title of the book, The Poison of Money, we, you know, the, it's about the family and the Torio family and how the poisonous side really hit home with the family, but it's also an eye-opener for us to understand historically how money has really infiltrated into the veins of society and in some way distorted the American dream a little bit. And when we look at some of the, you know, the awful things or, or the decisions that are made by, even by corporations, um, it, it, it all stems back from this greed and this poisonous side of, of money. And, you know, although Torrio, his only crime was tax evasion, um, you know, when we look at corporate America, you know, they're parking billions of dollars offshore and evading taxes. There's corporations that are using, you know, child labor and the common denominator of all of these things is always money and greed. And so um, it, the, I think the poison of money is a, an eye-opener. It takes us back into a bit of a history lesson as you go through this journey over several decades and, and crossing continents. And, I, and hopefully uh, the, uh, the readers uh, will, will enjoy not only the entertainment value, but uh, as well some of the inspirational uh, side of the of the book, and it's interesting to note um, 
that you know the the products of these businesses run by Johnny Torrio, at least some of the principal ones, had to do with you know bootlegging and and uh, the selling of of uh, prohibited alcohol, which is legal now. Um, yes. Gambling, and you mentioned Las Vegas and of course Atlantic City, but. Uh, you know, gambling exists in almost every state in the country through lotteries and uh, Indian casinos. And so for all intents and purposes, gambling is legal now. Even prostitution is legal in Las Vegas. And right. and so there, there's a sense that the, the, the same desire for money that attracted people into these illegal operations... Um, actually became adopted by the state, you might say. Yeah, yes, and, and that's exactly right, uh, Tom. You know, like um, my, my aunt, uh, Tina, who would tell me these stories, uh, you know, she would sometimes say, yeah, you know, I, I have this picture with this president. And, and it, was, it was funny to hear that because it, it, it's incredible how... Um, the Cosa Nostra had infiltrated into all parts of society, from you know um, police officers to judges to politicians, and all the way to the president. And that business model was transported to wherever they would go. So you know when when uh, Torrio was in Cuba, uh, he again aligned with the politicians and and Batista at the, at the time, and so. Um, you know, that was their business model, and they understood that if they can get the cooperation of all of these parts of society, uh, they can flourish. And, uh, and unfortunately, the temptation of money, um, you know, made some of these people succumb to that. And what it really came down to, Tom, was that they were able to create this secret society where there wasn't really consequences to their to actions. So in other words, if you could ensure that you had the judges, the politicians, and law enforcement on your side, even if someone got caught doing something, there was always an, 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 a way that you can buy your, your way out of it. And when you start doing that, now you start really blurring the line, that what they call that thin blue line between what is good and what is evil. And I think that this is what they, I guess, masterfully did. And um, I guess that the people, there were people in society that resisted based on maybe strong moral backgrounds. And that's part of, I think, what Marietta's side of the family had is that regardless of the money, um, you know, my dad uh, was was a man of, of high morals and high integrity. And for that reason... You know, the book, although we'll know the name Johnny Torrio, we'll know the name Al Capone, the book is really dedicated to, you know, my mother and father and all the mothers and fathers out there who spend their lifetime to really try to put their kids on a righteous path and keep them away from the temptations of, of, of money and, and that poisonous side. And this is kind of a strange time to be coming out with a book, um, Joe, with the with the pandemic, would you um, have preferred to be able to go out and uh, you know 
meet and greet people and sign books and all that kind of stuff or are 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 you uh like Johnny Torrio uh one that likes to be in the shadow um well i I guess there's always two sides to things right is that um although obviously you know this pandemic has has been horrible and and I'm a very social person, so I would have loved to have been out there and 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 with with people, but obviously there's the privacy side. But the, I guess the, the, the flip side to that as well is that a lot of people today are, uh, are home and because of the pandemic and there's been a huge spike in, in, uh, in you know, book purchases and, and reading at home. So it's, it's a, sure. I guess, a good time in that sense to, to have a book that's out. But I, I think I would have loved to have been out there. But like you said, th- there's the flip side of that. I've tried to keep things as private as possible as well. Uh, and so, you know, it, it is what it is today. Uh, the timing of the book was really focused around the 100th anniversary of Prohibition. Unfortunately, we're living through this, this horrible pandemic, but uh, we hope that, you know, 2021 will be a, a great year. Yeah, Joe, when you were writing this book and, and researching for this book, did you open up any doors that might, might lead to future books? Um, there's always, you know, there's always in the back of my mind of, of writing, you know, another book, but I think the focus really has been, you know, I guess our, we all like to dream and I honestly believe that the book has, um, the opportunity to be converted into a TV series or, or a movie. And to me, the ingredients for that has always been, you know, really high entertainment value and at the same time, providing some good, you know, inspirational messages that some way contribute to a better society. And so um, that's really been, you know, the focus. So we're trying to get as much traction and exposure, uh, you know, with the book as possible and then hopefully, uh, you know, have a, a movie or TV deal. And it's really interesting to see, um, you know, after all these years, um, it's uh, it's actually a little bit, funny that uh, Coppola is coming out with a re-edited version or, or has released a re-edited version of The Godfather 3, so really interesting timing for that, and, um, you know, we hope that one day we'll, you know, the, the listeners will be able to enjoy this not only as a book, but, uh, but on the big screen. Well, Joe, we have to end it here, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more. Do you have a website? We do. Um, if you go to thepoisonofmoney.com, uh, there's uh, information and, and some uh, really interesting blogs about the, uh, the story. And uh, there's also links to uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon where the book uh, is available. Well, Joe, thanks for spending this time with me this morning. I really appreciate it. Tom, thank you so much, and be well and stay safe, and it was an absolute pleasure being on your show. Thank you so Hello much. Hello there, citizens. Happy New Duck Year. Wing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Dark Wing Duck out. 
We want to say hello, we want to see you smile, we'd like to sing some good old Christmas songs. With songs about Osetta and his reindeer sleigh, and gee, I just can't wait until it's Christmas Day. We're gonna set you wise, we love to harmonize, and if we had our way, we'd never stop. We'll say hello, we'll see you smile, and we'll sing some good old Christmas songs. We'll say hello. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom Bodette from Manger 6. We know you've been traveling a lot this holiday season, and you've probably been told there's no room at the inn. Well, that's just not the case here at Manger 6. Why, for just 29 drachma, we'll put you up in a warm, comfortable stable with plenty of fresh milk for the newborn. There's even individual stalls for your mules, camels, or whatever you happen to be driving across a desert. And in case unexpected visitors decide to drop in on you, shepherds, wise men, holy ghosts, it's not a problem at Manger 6. There's plenty of frankincense and myrrh to go around. This is Tom Bodette from Manger 6 reminding you, there's always room at this inn. We'll even leave a star out for you. 
Chillin' up there on that rooftop You ain't got no ID Well, you're gonna have to come along with me Christmas is sure to fail Santa is stuck in jail Miss Claus freak and the elves are on the street Trying to raise money for bail Christmas is sure to fail If we can't get Santa out of jail So they took him to the judge in the middle of the night And the judge said, yeah, I think you're nuts, all right But I'll give you one chance to prove me wrong Make me believe you're the real Santa Claus And if you can do that right Well, I'll let you sleep it off at home tonight, yeah down low and he put his finger on the side of his nose and he started humming Christmas carols real low he said when you were five years old your name was Greg you left me milk and cookies and a note that said dear Santa all I really want is a puppy I love him forever and I'll name him Buddy and so you did for 15 years till Buddy passed away and you cried many tears and you lost your faith like so many do. But I got a little something to tell you that's true. The love you give never really goes away and it all comes back on Christmas Day. So here's a little something that I want to give to you. And Santa handed him a puppy named Buddy Jr. Puppy wrapped up in his sleeve and said, Good God Almighty, I believe. Philip, set that man free. He's got things to do. It's Christmas Eve. Christmas is sure to succeed. To all and to all a good night. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. for you to understand what I'm going to do next. But I have to go way back and speak about my great-grandfather, whom we traced back to Marie Antoinette. As a matter of fact, my great-grandmother traced him back there a couple of times. <laughs> but he was partly responsible for the birth of my grandfather. He thought. <laughs> my grandfather was born in Denmark. He was Danish after his mother and Swedish after a friend of his father's. <laughs> he was one of the great inventors of his time. He invented the burglar alarm, which unfortunately was stolen from him. <laughs> he was a brilliant man. He was 
Among other things, a PhD. Just a f <laughs> So was his wife. However, besides being a brilliant <laughs> he also was a great chemist. He was the one who invented the cure for which there was no disease in the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, his wife later caught the cure and died. <laughs> he was a strange personality. He always experimented with something. Once he... Um, he crossed an Idaho potato with a sponge. <laughs> Imagine that silly idea. It tasted horrible. But it sure held a lot of gravy. I think his greatest invention was a soft drink, which he called Four Up. <laughs> but it wasn't successful at all. So he invented Five Up. But still it didn't click, you know. Then came Six Up. But still nobody liked it. So he gave up and died heartbroken a couple of weeks later. But little did he know how close he came. <laughs> Then I was born, and when that happened, my parents were, well, they were not poor, but they didn't have any money. <laughs> so I was actually born at home. And when my mother saw me, she was taken to the hospital. <laughs> One day, when I was four years old, my father came home. And he found me in the living room in front of a roaring fire, which made him very angry because we didn't have a fireplace. <laughs> there I sat, and here my father stood, burning up. <laughs> he pointed at me, see, my father was left-handed. He always pointed this way. I was sitting on the other side. <laughs> So my father said, Borger. He didn't know my first name. <laughs> See, in my father's family, we had a little trouble up here. In the head. My father was all right, but his two brothers, my male uncles. <laughs> now, in Denmark, we always distinguish, you know. I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that we have three sexes over there. <laughs> Male, female, and convertible. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was supposed to have been back to Denmark this summer. But I ain't going.
Oh, once I made up my mind what I was going to be, and that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> what I meant to tell you before was, and this is not a joke, this is really a fact, that two weeks ago, we celebrated my uncle's 103rd birthday. Isn't that something? Thank you very much. 103rd birthday. Unfortunately, he wasn't present. <laughs> How could he be? He died when he was 29. <laughs> but what I meant to say was that he was the one who went crazy. And his mother used to say that he went crazy because he never got the woman he loved. And that's a lot of nonsense because his brother went just as crazy. <laughs> and he got her. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program.